Hello, everybody, and thank you for turning in to another episode of the Belated Box Office Podcast, a podcast where Jeff and Pat have no business reviewing movies, but that hasn't stopped us yet, and we're going to keep powering through that. Pat, why don't you tell everybody what we watched this week? This week, we're getting all spooky, because it's October. So we watched The Shining, uh, released in 1980 by Warner Brothers Studios, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, and Danny Lloyd. Uh, written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, and directed by Stanley Kubrick. So The Shining, many people know, uh, it's the story of Jack Torrance, who's a struggling writer, uh, who uh, takes, a, takes a job at the Overlook Hotel in Colorado, uh, as the caretaker during the the winter months while the while the hotel is closed, so he brings his wife Wendy and his young son Danny to stay with him, and they're uh, to stay there from October until May. Uh, Danny uh, has uh, some clairvoyant telepathic uh, type abilities, and uh, before everyone leaves for the winter, he meets uh, the hotel's chef Dick Halloran, um, who shares those abilities with him. He calls them the Shine. He talks to Danny and warns him that his shine can sometimes see traces of, of past events so that he might see some things in the hotel. Uh, over the coming weeks and months, Jack and Danny both witness uh, a number of ghosts and weird paranormal paranormal occurrences. Uh, through, those, through these kind of specters they see, they learn that the last uh, caretaker of the hotel, Delbert Grady, uh, went mad and murdered his wife and daughters with an axe the previous year. Uh, so... Jack is, is always becoming more unstable and dangerous, um, threatening his family with, uh, with violence and, and uh, just these outbursts of anger um, as he's becoming more prone to these, these supernatural occurrences. And Danny uh, becomes afraid and, and uh, kind of sends an alert out to Dick Halloran, who's in Florida. Um, he picks up that they're in danger, so he makes his way out to Colorado. Sometime during that time, Jack totally loses his mind, and he attacks Wendy. Uh, she managed to fend him off, uh, but then he ends up getting an axe, and he's now terrorizing his family with an axe, and, and poor old Dick Halloran shows up just to, just to be you know, murdered with an axe to the chest as soon as he walks <laughs> in the door. Uh, very sad. Uh, Jack's uh, still pursuing his family. Danny ends up losing him in a, in a hedge maze that's out front of the hotel. Uh Danny and his mom escape from, from Jack in the hotel and just leave Jack to in the in the maze to freeze to death overnight. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. So, yep. It's amazing how you can break down like a two and a half hour long movie in two and a half minutes. Oh yeah. Well, uh, well I mean when when so much of the movie you know, an hour and a half of the movie is people like walking into rooms <laughs> and the camera just panning over some ugly carpet. And them just like staring at stuff, it really pads that runtime up real nice. It really does, doesn't it? That coupled with the uh, the amazing, amazing sound effects and music that go along with it, like that classic eighties horror movies nonsense. <laughs> a lot of real booming, ominous tones. Yes, well put. Like, I like that. <laughs> more or less, it's just kind of borrowing from uh, what's that movie? Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh yeah. They keep talking about ominous tones. And that's kind of what was in my mind as they're just kind of like uh, you know, it'll show them driving down Colorado Road or it'll show it, the camera panning across this hotel ballroom and you just hear <laughs> very loud. <laughs> yeah, the volume the volume was up and down in certain parts of the movie. It wasn't quite where I was turning up the volume and turning it down just to kind of compensate, but uh, definitely. I don't know if that yeah. sound or sound mixing but i don't think they got any oscar attention for for either i don't think they didn't get any that's oscar the, attention at all actually i don't think uh, yeah. as well that's as, usually the thing that you look up but i just know that uh one of the signs that we're unqualified to be reviewing these movies is we still don't understand the difference between sound mixing and sound editing <laughs> and now i kind of don't want to learn the difference because it'll ruin the running joke absolutely but but yeah, I know you usually uh, you usually kind of break down the the history of the movie, including the the uh, award uh, recognition that it got. Yeah, and only uh, if it's really worthwhile, right? Like this yeah, one, this I think movie, got. I guess is a... 
Sorry, I was going to say, this only really got, like, awards, like, met nominations from, like, the Saturn Awards and stuff like that. Like, for a movie that has been renowned as a great horror film, and it's, like, a fan favorite for horror movies, it really didn't get any significant recognition from Hollywood. Yeah, I was sort of surprised, because uh, we've said a million times, like, we're not, we're not like, horror movie buffs. Like, I'm mm-hmm. probably less literate in horror movies than any other style of movie for the most part but um this one like the shining is a big name of a movie everybody knows about it everybody's always you know everybody knows knows the quotes here's johnny and all this yeah. other stuff like it's oh yeah prolific in the, in the pop culture zeitgeist but at the same time um i didn't know whether it was like beloved among horror movie fans but in, in looking up some stuff about it for this podcast it seems like maybe not as much as i thought it uh, it was I found this movie was probably picked apart more in terms of, like, things that people noticed in the movie. Like, this has been gone through with a fine-tooth comb. I was looking through some of the goofs of the movie, and I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And there was just so many things that people pointed out. And it was, like, small things. Like, oh, a pen moved from here to there during this cutscene. Or when Danny was eating his sandwich, it uh, it didn't make sense about how much was gone in the first scene with his sandwich and the last scene with the sandwich. And I'm like, really? Like, you... Those are the things so you're going to pick apart. Continuity goofs? Yeah, and there was some other ones too, like factual goofs. Like, I guess the uh, they were saying there were some attacks when the hotel was being built by the Native Americans because of uh, it having been built on a an ancient burial site or a ritual burial site. And then they're like, but the wars actually ended like a decade or two before the hotel was even right. built. And I'm like, okay, that's... Okay. How, how much well, nitpicking can you do, you know? Well, here's some nitpicking from me on that point, because uh, I remember that uh, that line. It's kind of an offhand remark that's not really revisited later, mm-hmm. but it's just another kind of like, like built on an ancient Native American burial ground is kind of movie shorthand for like definitely haunted. Um, yeah. But um, no Native American ghosts, as far nope. as I can remember. Plenty of ghosts, lots of ghosts all over up and down this movie. Like, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters be having a field day in this hotel. Like, they'd have to bring extra little boxes, whatever those things are. They keep ghosts in, but not a lot of uh, Native American ghosts. No, it's actually, it's white ghosts. Yeah, the only mention they have of Native American anything after that is the uh, the art and the deck, the decorativeness of the hotel, certain rooms. Uh, his, you know, when Jack's wife's going through, she's like, wow, what kind of art is this? And then it's like, oh, it's mostly from this tribe and that tribe. And that's it. After that, they're like, oh, we're done with that whole whole theory. But this being a, a Stephen King novel adaptation, um, he's, he's, he's done another burial site movie that did pretty well in terms of horror films. And I think that uh, can't not do this and, you know, with this whole burial ground thing being brought up. Pet Cemetery. it's, uh, I don't want to say it's a go-to for Stephen King, but it definitely is a reoccurring theme. So yeah, haunted, haunted, th- weird things happen on burial grounds, which is uh, yeah, that that's well, I yeah, that's like a, like I was saying, it's like a, a staple. Like maybe it's because of him, but it's like a movie staple, sort of like a horror staple. Is like on an, on a burial ground, you're gonna have ghosts. Yeah, you're gonna have all kinds of problems, which is has been pointed out to me before. I think is a good point, like. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense for like a burial ground, like a graveyard or cemetery, to be haunted by a lot of ghosts, because it's not like a lot of people are dying in the graveyard. You know what I mean? Mm, like, I... dead bodies are taken there after they're dead. It's not like a lot of people die there. So, doesn't make a whole bunch of sense for there to be a lot of ghosts there. I guess the the counter argument to that would be like if you disturb the graves. Uh, you know, like rest in peace. Well, if you're not letting people rest in peace, maybe they have unfinished business or. Yeah, good point though. I don't I can, know. I yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a ghost alchemist, so no, that might hold water. I'm not sure. But at the same time, you also mentioned that there was no Native American ghosts, so well, it, yeah, it's hard to say that, that the burial ground had literally anything to do with the problems that were going on at the hotel. Yes. Um. Well, let's get these numbers out of the way real quick here. Uh, this movie had a budget of $19 million. It uh, box office $47 million. And I want to make a note here that it opened the same weekend as The Empire Strikes Back, which, as everyone knows, uh, the Star Wars hits were, or films were very big hits. 
Well, yeah. Uh, obviously, right? But this movie on 10 screens on opening weekend grossed $622,000, which is the third highest grossing weekend uh, from fewer than 50 screens of all times, apparently. Wow. So to That's have... pretty good. Yeah, so I mean, people people loved this movie when it came out, and I'm pretty sure it came out before the summer. Like, it wasn't like it came out in October, like, you know, typically now people try to promote horror movies around October or September, just so they can get that whole Halloween bandwagon on the go. Um, but the movie was really well received. I mean, even today, we got uh, great reviews on it. IMDb gives it an 8.4 out of 10. Metacritic actually kind of sloped it down quite a bit with only a 66%. Well, Rotten Tomatoes, the official score was 84%, and the audience score was 93%. So, I mean, it was it, it was well-received. Yeah, this movie's, uh, I don't know. I, I see, like, conflicting stuff. Like, is it, is it, do you think this is, like, beloved to this day? Or is it just, like, one that people know? Maybe just because it's Stephen King or whatever. Or just because Jack Nicholson was a big star at the time. There's a lot of stuff like going on in this movie. I'll tell you right now. So, like, I understand, like, how horror fans would be, you know, it would be a staple in the horror movie community. Uh, but there's a little bit more behind it, too. Like, there's a lot of conspiracy that goes with it in certain in one aspect, at least, that I know of. Um, but, yeah, you know, for me, uh, my my impression is kind of like, I, I don't I don't understand why it's such a big deal. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you know like well, you're I mean, saying like cultural zeitgeist like all these references that come from the movie and like these iconic scenes that everyone knows even if you haven't seen the movie you kind of understand that this movie yeah. is the basis for a lot of stuff that uh that gets referenced it just i just i didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> i guess i i kind of accepted that maybe i'm not the one to be making that judgment because like i said i probably watching this movie i probably just tripled the amount of horror movies i've ever seen somehow <laughs> <laughs> which does that math doesn't check out but um yeah i haven't watched a lot of them but uh yeah maybe we should mention that because uh, because uh, that's the position i was definitely in was i uh hadn't seen this movie before this week when i watched it for the podcast but i knew pretty much all the references i knew about the bloody hallway mm -hmm. i knew about the creepy twins i knew here's johnny uh you know i knew all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Like all yeah. all those references that have kind of endured, uh, I was familiar with. Um, like red rum, red rum is a red big rum. One too, yeah, right? red so, rum I knew about. Yeah, so it's definitely it's made a lasting impression for sure. Um, had had you seen this movie before, or was this a first for you as well? This was again one of those classic things around October. I turn on AMC, you know, and it's there. It's one of the classic horror films that always gets played when it's around Halloween time. And so I've seen bits and pieces of it. This is the first time I've actually sat down and watched the entire thing. And right. uh, I honestly think it were, it watched better in pieces. You know what I mean? Because you kind yeah. of like, oh, there's the Maybe creepy so. twins. Or, oh, there's the elevator scene. And But watching the whole thing, it, it was weird. Because this movie, for me, it kind of felt like... I felt like it was progressing... How do I describe this? When it was about an hour and 15 minutes in, an hour and 30 minutes in, I was kind of like, geez, man, like, this thing is escalating really quickly. I yeah. thought it had only been, like, 40 minutes, and I'm like, holy, he's already going insane. Then I checked the uh, the runtime, like, the little dial at the bottom there of the movie, and I was like, oh, it's been twice as long as I thought it had been. Like, this movie's actually, this is actually really entertaining. Like, it's kept me on, on the edge of my seat in that sense, but... Uh, it felt like it was going really fast, but it was actually just, I think it was just really engaging. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely does what it sets out to do, I think, really well. Like, this movie is, um, like, uh, I, I know a lot of, like, horror movies out there are like, you know, you're waiting for the next kill, there's, like, a bunch of kills, like, you're waiting to see Jason kill the next guy with a machete, or how's he gonna kill the next guy, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, only one guy gets, gets killed in this movie and it's like right towards the end with like 15 minutes left, not even. Um, so this movie is much more of a slow burn. Um, but I think what it does really well is the whole time it kind of like amps up the tension and amps up the tension. And I felt really tense through the whole movie and it yeah. kept you like 
you know, you kept expecting a jump scare, but there weren't really a lot of them so much. But it just kind of kept you feeling like you're going up the roller coaster, you know? You're going up, you're waiting for that drop, and it doesn't come till late, but the whole time you're just like, oof, I'm anxious. It's like a, so I think that's something yeah. the movie does really well. It's like going on and, a, uh, a ski trip at a mountain, right? It takes you two hours to get up the mountain, and it takes you a half hour to get down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that it's, it's well well put, right? There is no real jump scares like you kind of yeah. know everything that's going to be scary kind of you know ahead of time right but it's this is the kind of horror movie that i'd more appreciate than say the the classic slasher films or the uh just the pure torture movies is the psychological element right like if i'm gonna watch and there's a, horror, a lot of that it's got to be psychological man because that, that's way more scary to me than you know a killer bursting through the door and slashing up 20 people at a camp or something like that yeah it's like the anticipation is the most uh the, you know the most um like the best part really it's mm-hmm. it's the most uh i don't know what the word is for it i've had a lot of whiskey already <laughs> um but yeah i uh there there's a couple of uh things i wrote down that uh that kayla said while we watched this because uh she hasn't forgiven me yet but i made her watch it with me and she's <laughs> even less keen on horror movies than i am um she said there's too much suspense. Like she, she had to take a break for a second and be like, there's, well, there's too much suspense in this movie. I can't take it. And, uh, she was kind of mad at one point. She's like, there's all this spooky music and then nothing happens. Like if you're playing spooky music, something has to happen. Like something spooky has to happen. And, uh, I think she was feeling the same thing where it's like building up the expectation that, Mm -hmm. uh, of what's about to happen. It kind of keeps you there throughout the whole runtime. Which is kind of like what uh, the movie sets out to do, so I think it does it well. But there are some people that are kind of critical of that approach, I think. So the the horror uh, community seems to be kind of divided on whether whether they like The Shining or not. I would some almost people think it, uh, I would almost be able to compare it to say like certain Quentin Tarantino films in that sense. You know what I mean? Like for example, like The Hateful Eight. Like it's a lot of build up for one final scene, right? Which can be really well done, and Kubrick's. Uh, he's really credited with being able to to make the film in exactly the style that we're describing, right? This whole kind of like, it's it's going to mess with your head the whole time and you're psychologically, you're not sure what's going to happen next. And he does a really good job. Like like I said, it felt like it was a lot moving so quickly, but it was actually like, it was, it was running so long. Yeah, definitely. I was surprised to uh, find out that, uh, that Stephen King wasn't a big fan of this movie. And he seems yeah. to be like, it seems to be like the only one of his movies that he's gone on record saying like, yeah, it just didn't really work. Like they didn't get it. And he was, uh, there was a lot of it there. Like I haven't really read any Stephen King, I don't think, which Mm -hmm. seems sacrilegious to say, but, um, obviously we, we love, we watched and loved the Shawshank Redemption. Everybody loves the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, like King included, like he likes a bunch of other movies based on, his stuff but he was really critical of uh like kubrick in particular he kind of felt like for the reasons we're talking about where kubrick's like a psychological guy uh stephen king kind of thought that uh that that kubrick was kind of ill-equipped to deal with the horror genre mm-hmm. like he was uh he he quoted he's quoted as saying that kubrick's uh, a man who thinks too much and feels too little yeah which uh kind of made sense because like kubrick what you know about kubrick's like other films and his cult of personality in general is he's obviously like a really cerebral guy. And, uh, I think that comes through in this movie, but, uh, but horror, especially according to Stephen King and, you know, the experts like horror is supposed to play on to your emotions, right? Not to your intellect. So he felt that Kubrick was a poor choice to adapt his, his book. I think he was, he became really critical of it mostly. And again, like I, I don't really like doing the comparisons between the books and the films, but I, I do like bringing up this point is that uh, Kubrick kind of said like, I'd love to do this film, but I want to have like free artistic creativity and like rain, like to change what I'd like to change yeah. and to, to do what I want to do with this kind of book and turn it into a movie. And so I think when it finally got came out, like when it finally got released and everything, Stephen King's kind of like, wait a second you missed a lot of really important stuff that was in the book and then you came to your own conclusions yeah. and you did all this other kind of stuff. So I think more than anything, he became more critical of the the movie because he felt slighted. Like his work hadn't been given the, the proper attention that it deserved. So obviously as a writer, you put all this effort into 
mm-hmm. putting all these words down and, and making sure that the story comes together really nicely. And Kubrick's like, yeah, that was good, but I'm going to do it better. And, like, Stephen King's a legend, man. Like, to, to mess with his work is kind of like, well, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah, who do you think you are? Right? But Kubrick's definitely the person who would do that. He, he's, he was well-known as being, like, a control freak. Mm-hmm. Um, he was well-known for doing, like, tons and tons and tons of takes and, like, really, like, being very taxing on his actors because the being in full control of the end product is so, so important to him. Um, so you think uh, that that might be a good point? You think that uh, that King's criticism was kind of heavy, ha- more heavy-handed on this film because he felt kind of like he had felt kind of like insulted by by Kubrick uh, well, taking over so much. How would I put it? If I was a petty horror genre legend with a boatload of cash, and somebody did something to my book that I didn't quite enjoy, I would mm-hmm. definitely let everyone know about it. I'm not saying Stephen King's petty, but I mean, like, it's kind of like, just kind of let it slide, man. Like, it was, it was well received. It did amazing. So it's kind of like, because there were some things that got changed in other Stephen King book to movie adaptations, and he was like, totally okay with it. You know what I mean? And even sometimes applauded the changes. Like, oh, that's really good. Like, I like that. That was really really well done. So for him to come out against this movie and just be like, nah, fuck you like how, yeah so how he's not a guy who just who just gets mad anytime you change something exactly like sometimes a director will make a change that works and he says oh that's pretty good like stephen king's fucking his archive of work is so extensive he's got so many things out there and uh like we discussed i think i think it was shawshank where he would like sell scripts to to new directors just to give him a chance for like a dollar you know what i mean yeah. like he would just be like here just have fun with it roll with it see what you can do and I don't know if that was like advertising for him or whatnot, but um, it kind of seems strange that he'd come out and just be so against it. But I guess when you have full creative control over what you want to do with it, if you change somebody's maybe what they thought was like a masterpiece or you know the pinnacle of their work at the time, that could be you know a little frustrating. So yeah, he's yeah. and he was critical of, of like more stuff too. So maybe it's like his his criticisms of of other stuff might have come with. Um how he just kind of didn't really didn't seem to get along with Kubrick. Like he was pretty critical of, of casting Jack Nicholson. Um, That's, and, uh, that seems crazy to me. I'm going to tell you that why right now, because he, he's the only reason I think this movie was, was bearable in terms of the acting. Oh, he's always great. Right. Like I, I had no problems with the casting. I think his facial expressions were so on point. You know what I mean? There like, was one point in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, there was one point in this movie, because I like Jack Nicholson, hadn't seen this movie before, there was one point where he's like, Wendy, give me the bat. <laughs> I think I turned to my wife and I was like, ah, Jack Nicholson hates bats in every movie that he's in. She didn't She didn't like that joke. I'm probably like the millionth person to make that joke, but she didn't like it. <laughs> I haven't heard that joke, so that's fresh to me and I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> I haven't heard it before, like it's like original to me in that sense, but like I'm sure someone else has said that, like, ah, Jack Nicholson and bats, like he doesn't like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to make it too bad of a pun, but yeah, they kind of teed that one up for you, man, just knocked it out of the park. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> um, I think King's criticism of him was... Uh, like, I guess uh, it was kind of a little bit meta because Jack Nicholson had just starred in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest the previous year. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was playing a patient who was in a, like institutionalized in a, in a mental asylum. Yeah. So King, King's thought was like, you know, he's already played that person. So audiences are going to find it too easy for him to go like, you know, go insane. So he wanted an actor who was like a little less typecast in that sense. I think he wanted like John Voight was one of his main guys because he figured like okay. his performance if he if he kind of like goes insane partway through the movie audiences wouldn't be expecting it as much oh so it was almost kind of like a wow there's a lot more criticism than just the the liberties taken on the script then i guess eh there is yeah he also didn't like shelly duvall's performance or her character in general how she was handled he just thought oh. that she was like a a dumb woman who screamed and that's all her character was and he said well i I wrote a better character than that but that didn't come through as far as he was uh concerned i you know i I don't have any acting ability or skill but i gotta say like it just it didn't it was distracting her performance i found um i think i think it it, obviously it uh it worked out well for this film but for me it was just kind of like man that kid's doing pretty good jack nicholson's doing great but she every time she was 
there, there's just a lot of scenes where I'm like, oh, that's that's not ideal. That's unfortunate. <laughs> right. So, so for me, that was kind of it was a little off putting, but um, but I got over that. Obviously, it's a, it's a two and a half hour long movie, and you just kind of you got to roll with the punches on that one. Uh, but I'm not gonna lie, man. Like his character arc didn't really seem as strong as maybe King wanted it. And I, we got to stop referencing to that back to this. But so the arc of Jack going crazy mm-hmm. and being like, you know, having violent outbursts, it is almost evident in the very start of the movie. Like he's yeah. clearly not a very nice person to his wife or his son. And that only gets worse as the movie progresses, which is the point. But like, it, it, it there's only one scene where you kind of see the flip of the switch, right? Where he's just like, where he actually goes insane and decides to kill him. And that's when he's in the bathroom with the, 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 the server, Grady. I guess, Grady. Uh, who yeah. used to be the, the caretaker and they have that whole conversation yeah. and it's like that's when it flips right he's like they had to be corrected and he's like your wife and son might need to be corrected mm-hmm. i was like yeah okay that's that's the the flipping of the switch right there that's when he fully that's loses the point it. where well yeah he's he's very like shown to be unstable for a long time leading up to that mm-hmm. but that scene just kind of uh serves to be the point where it's like now he's made the decision that he has to like do this horrible thing to his wife and son and kill them. Yeah. Like that's where he kind of makes the decision that they have to be dealt with, as they said. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta tell you that kid creeped me out. I think Danny Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, the, he did a good job. I, w- I want to mention uh, Jack Nicholson is Jack and uh, Danny Lloyd is Danny Ter- Torrance. Right. Like, it's just like, well, that makes it really easy, right? Like at least it's not much of a stretch in terms of reactionary mm-hmm. acting. And then it was <laughs> Shelly as Wendy. So, well, why couldn't mm-hmm. you just find a Wendy? You know? <laughs> like, you're, like, there's really only three that. actors in the film, and you really, you know, like, two, two out of three? In that, in that casting call, that it just must be named Wendy. Well, you don't have to put be. that in there. That's discriminatory, right? You just wait until a Wendy shows up. Like, can you read this line? And before she starts reading, you're like, yeah, you got the job. You're the only Wendy that applied. So. <laughs> She's like, "Well, I've never, act- I've never tried acting before, but I'll give it a shot." <laughs> Jack, stop! Get away! What are you doing? And they're like, "Whatever, your name's Wendy. Yeah. You're the only Wendy that showed up. You're Welcome perfect." Welcome to the movie. <laughs> Couldn't have pictured a better, better person for the job. Really, really good job. Welcome <laughs> aboard. <laughs> yeah. Um. What do I, I, there, I there was this again this was a really long movie and I got a lot of notes and there's not not a need to hit on everything um we already hit on all the cultural references that everyone uses today um well the, here's a question for you okay um is uh I don't want to lead you on this but like did you watch anything besides the shining in in preparation for this episode uh, I'm not sure. You're looking at me quite... with a blank stare, so I don't. Yeah, think I'm not sure so. if I'm following you. I don't know where you were leading to me to. You know. Well, I just wanted to know what you'd say, but I, I figured you'd say you watched the blockbuster episode of of South Park, like I did. Oh well, uh, <laughs> the, that one I've seen a bunch of times, right? And like, so you get the the frozen the frozen face of Jack, yeah, right. That one scene, then obviously Randy in South Park <laughs> ends up ends up the same, right? And, Similar concept in terms of the blockbuster, and he just has yeah. to caretake it, and nobody's there. And I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean that. I, I watched. Uh, I didn't prep for it. <laughs> you didn't. That's that's surprising. <laughs> I guess it's because you've seen it a bunch of times. But I definitely went back and watched that, and I went and I watched uh, no TV and no beer make Homer something something. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be an old Simpsons. I almost want to ask you what season that's from. Oh, that's uh, season six. Yeah. It's a uh, Treehouse of Horror 5, I do Jesus. believe. Jesus. So that would have been 1995. Some, <laughs> 1990, something like that, yeah. yeah. 1995. Yeah, no, and I mean, uh, it still gets play. All of this stuff, right? Give like me you... a beer, Mo. No, Homer, you got to kill your family first. He's <laughs> like, why? <laughs> well, they'll be happier as ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, that that Simpsons episode is, uh, you know, it's it's only a, like a third of an episode, right? Because the Treehouse of Horror, they do like three different skits. Yeah, that's but right. But it's literally just like there's enough cultural references in uh, The Shining that all they do is just line them all up. 
Yeah. And they have the the blood elevator, and they have. Uh... <laughs> well, it's a, it's have? a two and a half hour long movie. If you can't pull eight minutes of super popular cultural references from it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're just you're just not doing your job. I don't think, right? I mean, you got the so like again, we've got the the twins, red rum. Here's Johnny, the frozen face, the elevator blood explosion mm-hmm. in the hallway. All work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. And I'm sure there's others in there that I'm missing, but um, your wife and sons don't, don't seem to believe in the blockbuster video, Mister Marsh. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I watched the movie this week and I don't know the actual quote from the movie. Well, South Park does a lot of like I love how they do the uh, they bring in the old guy from Pet Cemetery into a couple episodes. Like, yeah, it wouldn't go down that rod. You know, <laughs> the guy's always talking about you know like the Pet Cemetery guy. It's like you don't want to do it. Don't take your boy there and bury him. That's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, he'll come back as something different. Uh, Pet Cemetery. That might be a good one for for next next october next october yeah let's well that's well, that's a long ways away but definitely uh definitely a good one and i mean it would be on par with burial grounds and uh crazy family stuff happening um indeed one of the things i want to bring up because it's like a huge huge conspiracy about uh the moon landing and stanley kubrick's involvement with uh potentially helping fake the moon landings yeah, well, yeah, they say that he's the one who... People who don't believe that the moon landings took place believe that Kubrick directed the, the footage. Yeah, and there is a boatload of references, right, that uh, that they've come across and stuff like that. Uh, like one symbols of them... in this movie, like people have broken down the symbols to think that Kubrick's trying to send some kind of message to yeah. tell us whether or not the moon landing was real. Yeah, um, one of them Something includes like the, I... the, the room number. Uh, it wasn't always 237. In fact, it was like 217 in the, in the book. But oh, yeah? he changed it because apparently the moon is about 237,000 miles away. So of that's course. a hint, right? And then uh, when um, Danny stands up after the tennis ball rolls towards him and there's no one in the hallway, mm-hmm. uh, he's wearing an Apollo 11 shirt, like a sweater. Like one of those classic, like my grandma knit me a sweater for Christmas type sweaters. And it's got yep. Apollo 11 on it. And then they say something about like the launch pad was uh, very similar to the uh, the carpeting, carpet patterning. But it just gets wild, man. Like I, I started looking at a few of it. I'm like, this is a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down. Like I'm pretty sure they landed on the moon. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's just leave that one alone, right? But I wanted to bring it up just because it's one of those things where it's like, man, this movie has been gone through with a fine tooth comb and every possible way i think probably mostly inspired by the apollo 11 and the moon landing faking things like people i think also because of uh like kubrick fans tend maybe tend to be like that like kubrick's known for having attention to a lot of attention to detail might have something to do with it it's weird though because there's a lot of goofs in the movie that were mentioned about like just missed missed visual continuity and stuff well, not even that. They're like, oh, in this scene, the pen is over here, and the next scene, the pen is over there. And like you said, he's really taxing on his well, actors. Yeah, that's continuity. Cuts. Sorry, I, I may I not know the just... difference between sound mixing and sound <laughs> editing, but I know what continuity is. Well, they were saying, like, I saw things like, oh, his hair was a mess in this scene, but not in that scene, and the typewriter changed color, and then this did all that, and I'm just like, holy shit, man. Like, I think Maybe that was, was like intentional. Was Maybe it? that was intentional to show that uh, Jack's an unreliable narrator. <laughs> Could Maybe be. these people that, that talk shit about uh, The Shining just need to learn up on their literary devices. <laughs> Should have paid attention in high school, I guess. Yeah, as a guy who failed grade 11 English, I'm, I'm not really able to speak to that. So I'm just going to... You can take care of that that part, that aspect. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the picture at the hotel in the very end... There was a, a couple different theories on what happened there. I still don't really get it. You uh, you want to take a stab at it, or did you look it up as so to what it could be? You're talking about you're talking about the photograph that showed the 1921 Jack photograph in, in yeah. 1921. Jack surrounded by all those people having a party in the ballroom. Um, I think that well, that kind of relates to a reference uh i think it's in his conversation with grady in the bathroom but there's a few references to uh like they like the ghosts 
say to Jack, like, you were always here, or some version of, of like that, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Or he says to Grady, uh, you're the caretaker. I know that you're the caretaker. You murdered your wife and children with an axe. And he says, no, sir, you're the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. And I think it was, like, just a way of, like, showing, like, you know, foreshadowing that he's also going to attack his family with an axe. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, I don't have a definitive answer, but I think the um, the photograph of in 1921 is just kind of to show, uh, kind of kind of to reinforce the idea of like you were always here. You know, Jack was always there back in 1921. He was there in a sense, mm-hmm. and the reason that he that the the hotel brings out this crazy side of him is because, um, uh, I don't know. That's a, probably as, as succinct as I can really put it. Like, he was always there, and, and the isolation of being there for so long made him go crazy, so... Well, the the two running theories that kind of gained the most traction, I suppose, is that one is that the hotel absorbed his soul. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, okay, all right, I, I, can, I can get down with that. And the other one is that he's kind of, like, reincarnated Grady. Like, he was almost, like, destined to go back to that hotel and... And and basically, yeah. it's like uh, this is spo- this was supposed to happen, and with the the whole shining element, like you kind of knew that Danny wasn't excited, but he kind of knew something was going to happen. The whole like the whole movie, he had a bad feeling about the hotel, but yeah, it almost seemed like he yeah. was predestined to. Uh, this, exactly, this was all, I know, think that's all it is. Fate. I don't think there's a solid logical reason. I think it's just kind of to reinforce, uh, like some imagery to reinforce the fact that. Uh, yeah, he was always like his his destiny to to go mad in this hotel was always there. Yeah, I gotta ask you because this is one of those notes that I made and um, at the start, and then I as I continued to watch, I was kind of like, okay, maybe maybe I wrote that down too soon or, or not very uh, cohesively with what was going on. But uh, I found the introduction of The Shining was kind of strange and odd, but it was really well done. Like it really explained what was going on with Danny. And so you're kind of like, okay, so he's not just some creepy kid that has like a yeah. weird imaginary friend or something, something strange. You're talking about where, where Dick Halloran talked to him and yeah, o- said over the ice cream, right? Yeah. So I, what I wrote down is when it was going on, I was like, I was wondering, and I'll, I'll try to read it here because I wrote it down a lot better than how I'll word it right now. If I don't read it, is um, do you think it's really an essential plot device for the movie, and do you think it? It, the movie could have been as well done without that whole entire plot device. Like for me, it didn't seem like you needed to have this kid have the shining. You know what I mean? Like it didn't. And the title wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> gotcha. Fair. Yeah. I, you know what? Shit. That's yeah. why I said I wanted to revisit this, this point that I made earlier. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up. But <laughs> what i'm here for but i mean to me it didn't seem like it was a necessary plot device you know what i mean like it could there, have been there could have been many other ways to to do it but um it just didn't yeah seem there would like have been other ways to, there would have been other ways to make the movie work without it but um i think the purpose it serves is is to uh well, I guess uh, what I was going to say is the purpose it serves is is to have uh, an explanation for Danny's abilities. But I guess you're saying Danny didn't really need to have those abilities. It didn't really um, serve him very well. He had, his, the only thing that his abilities did was get uh, Dick Halloran murdered. Pretty much, yeah. Right? Well, someone needed to get murdered in this movie at it, some point. It had to happen. Like you're gonna you're gonna hang like yeah you're gonna like dangle an axe murder in front of me your whole movie and no one gets axe murdered i'm fucking i'm gonna fucking riot i'm gonna start a riot in the parking lot of the movie theater that's why like, it viewed in like 10 theaters a fucking axe murder you guys let's get them <laughs> it only viewed in 10 theaters they're like people might riot i don't know how this yeah. is gonna be received. they might riot but um, um yeah i think i think it works like it it uh well you know you kind of had to have a kid with like clairvoyant powers to be sensitive to seeing all these ghosts um and like other people see the ghosts like even wendy at the end like as she's running from jack she starts to see all the ghosts kind of at once yeah and it overwhelms her but i think uh you know having the slow burn of danny running in all these ghosts works better uh because he we know him to have the shining okay on that note when wendy sees the ghosts 
What the fuck is with the guy dressed up in the bear costume blowing the manager? I read something about that actually. <laughs> I so was it's just like, like a, it's what the a, fuck is going on? <laughs> so it's a dog costume, I think. And I read someone put somewhere like I can't verify that this is true. It's like something I I heard or read offhand somewhere that like in the book, um, there's like it, it talks about these two guys that are in it like a sadomasochistic relationship and they get off on this one guy pretending to be a dog see that's a really that, to me it just seemed like a really out of i don't know out of context yeah. image it you know seems what I mean? it it seems a weird thing to like if you're gonna keep it in the movie from the book to not go get into it all and just have one kind of out of context shot of the whole thing is it like, like one of those things where it's like Wendy's like, oh my god, of course he wouldn't tell us about the past of this hotel. This guy has a weird fetish going on. Like, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I didn't. No, it didn't. It's like it maybe it it was something from the book and they wanted to have it in there, but like <laughs> either you know have it in there or don't. But it's kind of like they didn't want they didn't want to touch on it or or have it affect the plot. They just wanted to have like one shot of yeah. these two guys like doing their weird sex act. Not to kink shame, but... No, not at all, but it doesn't make any a, sense because the manager was still alive. It's a strange thing to... Like, yeah, it's a strange thing to put in without context and just not explain, even if it does have an established uh, presence in the book. Well, I mean, like, so now it's bringing up questions I never really thought about last night when I watched the film. Is like, is the manager dead? Was he a ghost the entire time? Was Jack Nicholson, I think like, those sixth were, sensing? Like, I talking think those to were a ghost... Both I think those were both ghosts, but like, was the one guy the manager? Like, I, I think so. I mean, like that's what I, again, we don't fact check stuff, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was the uh, that almond guy, right? I I don't remember it being him, but maybe it was an actor that looked like him. But yeah, I mean, if it was him, then then I have no fucking idea what's going on. What's he even doing there? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe How I, did he I could, get there? I could totally be off point on this, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, why is the manager getting blown by a bear? Like, I mean, that's how <laughs> that's how uh, aware I am of what's going on. Obviously, it wasn't even a bear. It was a dog. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just thought that was kind of one of those things where I'm like, everyone else is kind of a skeleton to her. Or like, things things just aren't adding up to this, this whole finale of ghosts appearances. But uh, I did feel bad for Dick Halloran, man. Yeah. Like, such a great character. Like, for a clairvoyant guy to walk into a hotel and be like, hello, <laughs> is anybody around? And then, like, instantly, like, an axe right to the chest. Like, I thought clairvoyant meant you could see, like, paths like, and people and stuff like that. And almost I don't know how clairvoyance works. I don't know, based on some, some very loose RPG understandings of spells and stuff like that, I thought clairvoyant meant, like, you could kind of predict the path that you needed to go on or something like that. Or, like, you had a an idea of what needed to be done or something in the future. But apparently it excludes getting murdered. Uh, it just seemed kind of strange to me. Like he gets a signal from when he's in Miami from out way in, uh, in Colorado. Like that, that he understands and picks up, but like a guy hiding behind a pillar, like a three foot wide pillar is just like, Oh, I'm going to get him. And he's just like, I don't know where anybody is. I don't know what's going on, but somebody brain text messaged me and uh, here I am. (laughs) Then he just gets got, it just kind of seemed like, I don't know. There was a lot of things in this movie. Like, yeah, I think you're right. They just had to kill somebody. You know, (laughs) do you know what I mean? They're just like, well, we'll bring Dick back and murder him. I was thinking about Uh, clairvoyance, like and stuff like any powers that like don't exist that you put in your movie. It's like, you don't have to explain it. It just works the way it works. Yeah. It's like, stop questioning me, you know? Like, how come he didn't? Yeah, but I, I thought the same thing. Like, as he got axed in the chest, like, oh, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> and neither did he, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. He he didn't see that one coming, even though even though he's got these clairvoyant powers. So even watching the movie, I was like, there's no way he's just going to get axed in the chest. Like, there's no way it's just going to be over like that. And then sure enough, just comes around the corner with a sweeping, massive swing and just boom. Oh shit! Okay, that was quick. <laughs> it's been in the hotel yep. for a matter of minutes, and it's over. Obviously, him bringing the snowcat was a uh, wasn't important, but uh, but also not. I mean, Jack froze to death in the the hedge maze. So I mean, Wendy and and uh, Danny could have just stayed in the hotel. 
I mean, I wouldn't yeah, want to because it was stay. creepy as hell. No, of course not. <laughs> there's go there's ghosts, bud. There's like like gay blowjob ghosts and <laughs> skeleton ghosts and all kinds of fucking ghosts in there. I did I did want to racist ghosts dropping unnecessary end bombs. That was yeah, was when I saw that scene. scene I was just like, Yeah, 1980s, yeah, cue the racism. Here we go. <laughs> I guess. Of course. Well, why <laughs> would it? It's kind of come out of nowhere. It it really did. Yeah, there was absolutely no need for that. But I mean, like you said, certain aspects of movies don't need to be uh, examined that deep. I guess they get free reign over to. Well, maybe it was the twenties. I guess characters from the twenties. I don't know. Um, I was kind of like laughing. I was like, so Jack hasn't had a drink in a while, and the people made notes about like, oh, well, he said he hadn't had a drink in five months, and that he hit his son three years ago, and then it was actually six months that he'd been sober, and I was like, well, all right, too much. All I want to know is that when he's drinking that ghost booze, is he getting drunk? He acts like it. Right? Like, Jack Nicholson's performance, he's like, after he takes that drink, he's like, hmm, and now he's talking like this, and he's got more emotion, and like, He's putting on, he's putting some mustard in it, like he's feeling the effects of the booze. I wasn't so, just talking about. Yeah, the I acting. think I think is if he's convincing himself he's seeing ghosts serving him him booze, then he's probably convincing himself that he's that he's drunk too. Like the ghost placebo effect. Yeah, it's not bad. Really cut back yeah. on the uh, the drinking costs of this podcast. If you actually just imagine ghost booze, <laughs> <laughs> right? My bourbon, uh, my bourbon uh, budget would plummet. Well, it would be That'd zero. Be great. You wouldn't need me more because you could just get drunk off ghost bourbon. Well, here's the thing, though. Uh, one thing you got to watch out for is if this movie's any indicator, ghosts are terrible bartenders. Because <laughs> this guy, he orders a bourbon on the rocks. Oh, and this glad you brought this, this up. You, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Finish my thought. I know you know what I'm about to say. Jack fucking Daniels. That's not a bourbon. No, it's a sour Jim mash Dacia whiskey. Isn't a bourbon at all. Right? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. It got, it got buried in my notes. Like I said, this movie was long. I took a lot of notes, but as soon as you brought it up, I was like, "You're fucking right. That's not. A, that's that is unacceptable. <laughs> totally unacceptable." Um, I'm going to pour myself a glass of actual bourbon here right now, actually, because this conversation is making me thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, I think we pretty much covered everything we we need to get off our chests here when it comes to this movie. Um, probably go ahead and give it a rating. Yeah. I think, what do you think here? I think we're good. No other let's, pressing uh, issues? Nothing else? Yeah, boy, rating. All right. Uh, no, not a lot. Well, uh, here, I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a whirl first. And I know we, we revamped our, uh, our system just to be a little more critical and, and to keep in mind how the, uh, the three-and-a-half-star rating actually works. Um, it was a good film. I, I quite enjoyed it. Again, I don't understand what the big deal was about it. Like, it really doesn't... Horror movies aren't really something that I get into. But I think it was really well done. Uh, but I'm only going to give it a, a 2.25. Uh, I just think it was... It was meh. You know, I know that's still a pretty high rating, but I mean, it was... It was decent. For a movie genre that I'm not really super into... To uh to hold my attention that well that long, I'll give him credit for sure. All right, two two and a quarter stars out of three and a half. Right on. That's your that's, that's your rating. Yeah, it's not bad. That's a that's a passing grade as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty much on the on the same page. Like I was impressed with the movie. I thought it was well done. Um, I knew what it was going for, and I think what it's going for with the constant rising suspense was done really well um definitely made an impression on me definitely spooked me and creeped me out um so i gotta call it a success um you know, don't think it's something that i'll revisit again and it remains to be seen maybe after we do this podcast for a bit more i'll be more horror movie literate and be able to give a better assessment but for now i'd say good movie mm-hmm. um Left uh, left a good impression on me, all things considered. So I gave it a two point four out of three and a half stars. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, we're we're around the same ballpark. I, I think that's fair. <clears throat> I think those are fair ratings, especially given our lack yeah. of affinity for this genre. 
All right, well, um, now that we finished up this, I think it's time we end the official Belated Box Office podcast uh, for The Shining here. So I'd like to say thank you for tuning in, everybody, uh, from Pat and myself, Jeff, here. You can always find us on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you can find your podcasts. So we invite you guys to check those out. And we will catch you guys on the next one. So take care. Maybe we should we should mention. Oh, don't don't forget nope. though. Okay. We uh, bring it up. We want to get in the habit of uh, bringing up what we're going to watch next week, so oh, okay. people can also watch in preparation if they want. That's so right. So what do we uh, before we say goodbye? What are we going to watch next week, there, Jeff? Well, actually, it's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I kind of I jumped the gun on that one for sure. Uh, we got a special guest joining us next week, uh, a friend of mine. And we will be watching The Truman Show, which, in my opinion, is a, is a horror film. <laughs> so so tune in for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, it'll be great to have another guest on the show. Uh, I don't think three is a crowd. I think three is a great number for reviewing. We'll get some, with some other outside viewpoints besides Pat and, and mine to chime in. So on that note, I think we can call it a night. So thanks everybody for tuning in and we will catch you all next week for the Truman show.